Welcome to the Psychology World Podcast with me, Conor Whiteley. Psychology student and international best-selling psychology author of over 30 psychology books, bringing you the latest psychology news, fascinating psychology topics and more each week. If you want to learn more, then please check out connorwhiteley.net forward slash books. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the YouTube video or follow on your favourite podcast app. And here's the show. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 227 of the Psychology World Podcast with me, Colin Whiteley. And today's episode is on what is emotional dependency and locus of evaluation. And it is the 1st of September 2022 as I record this. So I'm having to record this a little early because on Sunday when I normally edit the podcast, I'm actually going up to Newcastle. Um, yes, and then I'm coming back on the day that this comes out because I have a bike to work check because I've managed to get some work experience up in Newcastle which is basically the other end of the country for me. So I'm quite like looking forward to it, but it does mean I do need to record the podcast early and get it edited. But this is a really fun, fun podcast episode, which I, I really, really loved because emotional dependency, understanding that one, it exists, giving it a name and knowing there are ways to overcome emotional dependency has changed my life. I mean, not, I cannot stress that enough. And I love the topic. I think it's really interesting because it is based in like childhood trauma, abuse, and so many other quite dark topics, but really interesting. So I love this episode. It is quite in depth, but I think that's what makes it so much fun. So moving on to the psychology news section, we've been from the British Psychological Society Research Digest. And the first one is. You aren't the only one that can't remember 2021. Time flies when we're having fun, or so the saying goes, but joy isn't the only feeling that affects our perception of time. Not only were many of us deeply stressed during the acute phase of the COVID-19 pandemic, but many of us spent a significantly increased amount of time in our homes with access to many of our typical activities restricted. Without the novelty of external anchor events to construct a mental timeline, however, our sense of time was, uh, was prone to warping. Dana Puckler and Professor Avash from the University of Aberdeen dive into the details in the new study published recently in Polis One. So there's not actually a great amount of that I can say about this one, but time at warping and our perception of a time is definitely something that is quite important to understand because if we can understand how normal people, healthy people, um, understand the perception of a, of a time and what is sort of within the normal range about the differences in perception and how we like perceive time, then we can hopefully apply this knowledge in our understanding towards people that sort of have 
abnormal um, understanding of a time. For example, um, temporal aphasia, I think is like what it's called, which is when the person just cannot understand and the perception of a time. So interesting, useful, but 2021, I mean, how much do I remember of it? I think it was my placement year. So the second one is, enclosed cognition brushes up well. Clothes have further reaching effects than just making us feel good or bad about ourselves. Over a decade ago, a pair of US-based researchers first described enclosed cognition, reporting that people perform better on a test of attention when wearing a lab coat that was described as a doctor's coat that is a lab coat described as a painter's coat. That 2012 study has been cited more than 600 times and covered by more than 160 news outlets. Since our initial publication, dozens of other studies have reported that symbolic meaning of a close can influence cognition. However, a sizable number of prominent findings in the film, including that original 2012 paper, could not be replicated in subsequent studies. At the height of the concerns for psychology's replication crisis, it seems as though enclosed cognition may have been for the chop. New analysis, however, finds that all was not lost. Research published recently in Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin reports that after the replication alarm was raised, research into how clothes make us feel, think and act in approved substantially. Be sure to check out the full article by Emma Young to get the full story. So I think there's two aspects here that we need to focus on. Firstly, the replication crisis. That was a horrific time in like, psychology. And I think it would have been quite interesting to be a psychology research at that time. It must have been quite stressful, but also really good because it did teach us a lot about like, replication how to make good research studies just so um, we never end up in that situation again but also taught us that um, we always need to make sure that our findings are replicatable because that is the essence of a good science you can have all the great results that you want but if they can't be replicated then chances are they're either a fluke you've made a mistake or in the most extreme cases, but also in the rarest, thankfully, something might have been faked. So replication, absolutely critical for any science, science including psychology. And when it comes to enclosed cognition, now I've got my own thoughts on this, and I've and there are and there's a specific research paper I want to try and find because I sort of want to understand how um, enclosed cognition impacts certain clinical populations more, but I won't say too much more on the uh, podcast because it's my own interest. But clothes definitely have the power to make us feel great. They definitely seriously um, give us the power to feel absolutely rubbish about ourselves, like, like t-shirts. Me and t-shirts do not go well together. In the sense that at home I have five grey t-shirts, all the exact same um, shape and everything, simply because they're the only t-shirts I'm actually comfortable in, and I don't feel massively overweight in. 
even though I know that's just me being like stupid, but because my body's such a weird shape, clothes do not hang on me properly, and it looks like I've got an absolute massive chest, really slim waist, and I just look horrific, and I honestly hate myself in like photos, which is why, I'm, which is why when friends and family are going to take pictures of me, I always sort of want to say to them, just focus on the head, please. Even even though the head's not that great because because I inherited my father's hair. Oh, simply awful, traumatic, like clothes are. But again, I think this is fun, it's interesting, and clothes, they really can make or break us and our confidence. And the last one is a better back to school. In honour of UK kids returning to school shortly, we're dipping into the Research Digest archives to ask, could school schedules work better for teens? Ah, oh, I have covered this on the podcast before, but I really do want to do it again because this is such, a, such an important point. Getting out of bed is the first major hurdle of most teens' weekdays. Often assumed to be the product of laziness or moodiness, it's difficulty rising in the morning is actually due to adolescent sleep patterns. During teenagers, circadian rhythms are relatively delayed, causing teenagers to both go to sleep and wake up late in the day. Even so, school begins promptly at 9am for most teens, but it doesn't have to be this way. What if school starting times worked with rather than against teenage sleeping requirements. Recent studies from years ago gone by uh, have indicated that such a change could be beneficial, but many lacked appropriate research methods to measure potential effects of a sleep interventions over longer periods of, of time. This is precisely the gap that Anne Biller and colleagues in Germany endeavour to fill. Take a look at their breakdown of their findings over on the BPS website. So I have mentioned this before on the podcast because I think this is rather stupid because because the entire point of a school in an ideal world, I'm going to say that now, is to give children the best start in life, to teach them, give them all these skills, etc, etc, so they can be the best version of themselves. Of course, that is the ideal version. But... A US president, which I do not remember for the life of me, said that the point of school isn't to produce thinkers, it's to produce workers. And I think this makes sense, really. I don't think true words have ever been spoken, because if school was about um, increasing our thinking and making us thinkers, a lot more critical thinking than were to be like mandatory, and basically the entire school school like system would move away from the regurgitation of knowledge and more about the adaptation and us applying like knowledge in new and novel ways. I don't think anyone's going to disagree with me there. So I think that the idea that school is just sort of stuck there, because of course the 9am star has been going around for a good few hundred years, but I don't think anyone or any government because of course school is a government thing 
I don't think any government will ever make this a change because it's very revolutionary and it would basically upend so much in our society because you would have to absolutely change how everything works. For example, like the teaching working hours, because I think teaching working hours, if you did, let's say, um, 12 till 8, just you get the 8 hour working a day in like for teachers that would make teaching even more antisocial like working hours so i think you would have to really address stuff but i think from a sleeping point of view just so we can work with a teenagers that's really important that we do focus more on designing a like school day that works with teenagers instead of against them so i hope you enjoy the psychology news section so let's move on to the personal update. So we're moving on to the personal update. This week has been really good this week. Like it's definitely been like a lot calmer, a lot less intense. Therapy's like going well. I have my last session like um on like um Tuesday and it's been like really good though. So I would say that the only like major thing like this week has I been, I've been realising, and I'm sure that lots of like clinical psychologists can actually back me up here, but when you're working with a trauma victim and an abuse victim, it is amazing how many thinking patterns, how much basically mental rubbish you can pick up over the years, and how many faulty thinking patterns, and at some point, if you've got a good like, therapist and if you've and if you're determined to change you just sort of realize how much rubbish you've got and how to clear it all out and like and i think that's one of the reasons why i felt so good like this week because i've realized a lot of my old ways of thinking a lot of my own fears they just don't apply to my life anymore i do reference that in today's podcast episode but it's just like really like so it's always interesting and i am looking forward to going up to newcastle when i am staying the night because of this right to work check and this whole and this work experience which should be in december i'm so so excited about that and closer to the time i will mention what it is because i love the topic absolutely i love it and then in two weeks time I also have my learning disability placement in Kent so I don't have to travel like that one. So, so that should also be like really good, really quite informative and there will be a podcast episode based on that so based on that, because I think I'm going to learn a lot and because the nice thing about podcasting is that when I'm talking in there to the mic I really can just like process stuff more so I think... Uh, um, I think it would just be really useful like for everyone. And as always, I always love to hear your thoughts and feelings on today's episode. So you can always email me, conorwiley, conorwiley.net. You can always leave comments at the show notes at conorwiley.net forward slash podcast. And you can always tweet me on Twitter at sci-fi wiley. Or leave a comment on the Facebook post at conorwiley psychology author. And today's episode has been sponsored by Psychology of Relationships, the social psychology of friendships, romantic relationships and more. So this is a brilliant sponsor for today's episode because 
emotional dependency impacts romantic relationships and friendships. But before we can understand emotional dependency, we need to understand how social relationships work, how do romantic relationships form, communication and so many other great topics. So this really easy to understand book as well as civilian engaging helps you to understand the biological, social and the cognitive reasons for the formation of relationships. It helps you to understand um, stuff like um, sexuality, homosexuality and like the theories like behind that but also the bystander effect, bystanderism and altruism, really in interesting relationship questions and everyone's a personal favourite. Communication, so how is it best to communicate in social relationships? That is always a very popular chapter and then there is like um, some of ones in, including why do relationships change and end? That's always been a personal favourite of mine. So if you want a great, easy to understand book, that's engaging and fun. So it's nothing like a boring university textbook, then definitely check it out. So that is Psychology of Relationships, Social Psychology of Friendships, Romantic Relationships and more. Available from all major ebook retailers and you can order the paperback and hardback versions from Amazon, your local bookstore or local library if you request it. And you can buy the ebook directly from me at payhip.com forward slash Connor Whiteley. So, whilst I'm buying books, it helps to support the creation and the editing of the podcast. My time is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. And as always, a massive thank you to my patrons because your support shows that you like the show and you want it to continue. So, if you wanted to become a patron of the show and get tons of great rewards, then you can now become a patron at patreon.com forward slash the psychology world podcast so let's move on to the content part of today's episode so we're moving on to the content part of today's episode so we're going to be talking about what is emotional dependency and locus of evaluation two absolutely brilliant concepts Two things I've never seen written about before. Um, I mean, like to get us. So this is so. Hopefully, a lot of people are going to find this really like useful. And I honestly, I honestly have just felt like falling in love with this psychology topic because it's been so impactful, like on me. But it's also the overcoming it is really quite fun and really, really joyous because now I know how to overcome this. I know also know how to have healthy relationships and that's really really exciting and like don't get me wrong most of this is down to autism and passing right and my past and my trauma but it's important to know um, about anyway so let's dive into it what is emotional dependency so what I'll do is that I'll uh, explain how normal healthy relationships work so you can understand emotional dependency because that's unhealthy then I'll give you some good definitions including my own personal way because some of the definitions online are they're not so much hard to understand but they're a little bit abstract at times therefore we know that emotional support in relationships is a normal healthy and it is seriously needed 
Seems that we all like to know that our boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, is there for us after a bad day at work and that they are able to support us. This is perfectly normal and it is expected and needed in social relationships. We all need in relationships with our romantic partners and friendships to be able to support each other. Also, but we cannot have a great relationship without a good healthy level of personal intimacy where we feel safe to disclose things about ourselves. That's all healthy and normal. In addition, emotional support helps us to feel good about ourselves and increases our self-esteem and our confidence. However, when we become emotionally dependent on another person, this can make a relationship unhealthy and rather toxic. Due to, if a person is dependent on someone else, then they cannot function very well or they cannot self-soothe effectively. This means that we need to rely significantly on other people to provide this for us. And this typically comes in the form of assuring that we're good enough and we deserve that unconditional love. As a result, when we talk about romantic relationships, this leads us to be very unsure and concerned about our partner's commitment and slash or approval towards us. This makes us focus on our own doubts about the relationship and our self-doubts, leading people to feel insufficient in the relationship and our love or friendship love is overtaken by our fear. People with emotional dependency typically have a concerns about will they abandon me, replace me and leave me. Ultimately, the person with emotional dependence becomes reliant on the reassurance of the other person to feel valued, safe and secure. Leading to relationship degradation. The main reason of this is, it is simply because it is hard to love someone whilst letting the other person be who they want to be when we are trying to cover up our own insecurities. These insecurities typically generated in earlier life experiences and childhood. Because when our parents weren't able to make us securely attached to them, this harms us. How do I describe emotional dependency? So because emotional dependency deeply explores childhood attachment styles and whatnot, I want to quickly summarise this all, just so we can move on to some other sections. Therefore, I describe emotional dependency as when people don't love a child or they don't love a particular part of a child. This leaves a massive hole in that child that they desperately want to fill, fill that well with some kind of love, safety and security. This means that in later life, forming unhealthy attachments with friends, romantic partners and others in order to fill that hole inside them and the person wants someone to offer them the unconditional love, security and safety that they were never given as a child. For example, the sexuality part of myself was never loved as a child and it was deeply traumatised and abused. This left me really wanting someone, anyone, to give the sexuality part of myself a feeling of safety, security and a kind of love. Well, to be honest, it's more like that validation these days. 
so that's why whenever I form a close attachment, which I rarely do because of my past and my autism, I do tend to make it toxic in relatively short order, simply because I want, I needed that sense of love, safety and security that I was never given. Now I will point out here that there were other parts of myself that had extreme amounts of love, safety and security. Therefore people can develop a more general kind of emotional dependency or they can form a narrow type like I did. Or to be honest I should say I had very very important past tense. In addition people who develop emotional dependency end up finding it next to impossible to internalise the validation and um, assurance that someone gives them meaning they need to keep hearing it again and again and they find it hard to make it part of their self-image and ultimately integrate that part of the self into the full overall self. How does emotional dependency destroy relationships? Then to hammer this a point home before we move on to the cures or the therapy techniques for emotional dependency Emotional dependency typically breaks relationships because the emotionally dependent person wears down the other person in the relationship with their constant or common requests for reinsurance that they're cared about, loved, and they want their partner to spend time with them. The problem with this is, is that a given into these requests that don't erase all the pain and suffering and it doesn't fill that hole inside the person. It really doesn't. Therefore, as these requests continue over time, it wears down and it wears down the other person until they reach a breaking point. Now, I have to admit here that the people who have to deal with emotionally dependent people, they are flat out amazing. They actually go through so much out of love if you're in a romantic relationship or dedication in a friendship. And that causes them their own pain and annoyance. They are flatter, amazing and great people who are putting up with a lot and trying their hardest to help the emotionally dependent person. But they do reach a breaking point and I do not blame them because they have to deal with so much anyway. They have to deal with their own um, problems if they have any and then they and then the emotionally dependent person basically pours on all their problems too because they just want that feeling of safety, love and security. So I do not blame them for breaking and and I think that the people that have to deal with emotionally dependent people, they're heroes in their own right because they do try and last as long as possible and that must be hell at times. Yet ultimately, this is all down to the emotionally dependent person to fix and get some kind of psychological support so they don't have to be emotionally dependent anymore. Overall, emotional dependency leaves a person not wanting but needing reassurance desperately so they can help reduce some of the pain, suffering and uncertainty inside them. They just want someone to help fill the hole in aside themselves. They just need love, safety and security. But this isn't healthy and this has to change. How can emotional dependency be cured? 
Personally, I hate the idea of cured because in psychology, nothing can be. But emotional dependency are psychological wounds on a person. Therefore, they can be healed over time with enough information, dedication and motivation so that the emotionally dependent person can or can work through their trauma and past and learn how to improve their lives. Since, as my therapist put it, at the end of the day, a partner, a friend, whoever, they can give me as much validation they want, they can make me feel as safe as they want, and they can give me as much security as I want. Yet I know it will never be enough, because as soon as I leave them, I start to feel unsafe, in danger, and uncertain again. It was simply how my mind used to work, and I knew, and believe me, I knew this was not healthy, but I didn't know how to change it. That's why people who are emotionally dependent on others need to learn how to independently cope and ultimately provide themselves with a sense of security, love and safety. Which I have to admit we are in an extremely powerful position to do nowadays because we aren't children anymore and this paragraph I absolutely loved writing up because we are adults, we have the knowledge, we have the words and hopefully we have the life situations that allow us to provide ourselves with these three senses now. And I'm also really glad that I was able to finish that paragraph um, without my neighbour starting like building and drilling again because it's basically taken me like half an hour just to record that single paragraph. <laughs> In addition, there is a fair amount of information and resources online to help us overcome our emotional dependency, including something called reparenting ourselves or transactional analysis, which my therapist did mention in a passing, and I've got to do a podcast on that at some point. Because I know if I want to do a podcast episode on it, I will, I will actually like look it up. Yeah, but that won't be for quite a few weeks. Furthermore, here are some other tips that I found online about overcoming emotional dependency and I think these are really helpful. Then we'll move on to, to the extremely powerful technique of locus of evaluation because that's what has basically allowed me to kill my emotional dependency issues. So they are, deal with your past trauma, heal with your emotions and your emotional wounds, understand your triggers, that's a massive one which I sort of have started to learn like this week. Increase your circle of friends. That's more my addition because I think sometimes you can become emotionally dependent on someone because you've not got that many people in your life that you can um, or that you're close enough to to talk about or talk to about certain stuff. Internalize your locus of evaluation. Distance yourself from the relationship. And you can think of this as a behavioural experiment because you'll see that you won't die um, by being separated from the relationship. Do your own interests away from the relationship. Ask what your friend or partner needs from you in the relationship. And this is more aimed at partners, to be honest. Know that you are as good as the person you're emotionally dependent on. That's something else that I've sort of struggled with over the past like, few weeks. 
reparenting and know the areas you need to reparent yourself in. Understand you have the right to talk about your positive and negative feelings, even if it risks upsetting others. Within reason, of course, like don't be a horrible person for the sake of it. What is the locus of evaluation? As proposed by Felham and Diem 1993, a person's locus of evaluation is the place from which a person makes their judgments about themselves, others and the world, with the term first being used by Kyle Rogers. Therefore, a person can operate from an internal or external locus of evaluation. If a person uses an internal locus of evaluation, then they trust themselves. They get their positive and negative evaluations from inside them. And they get their sense of self-worth from themselves. Nonetheless, if a person operates from an external locus of evaluation, then this means they get their sense of self-worth, self-esteem, and they internalise the value judgments um, about themselves from important others. This is normally because of childhood conditions. In addition, it's important to note here that these are never the same for any two people or even two aspects of the self. Since or whenever it, it comes to me being a psychology student, a writer, a podcaster and basically every single part of myself except recently sexuality, I have operated from a place of internal locus of evaluation due to I know that whenever I write something, be it non-fiction, fiction or university related, it is the best I can do at that moment in time. And I will improve over time too. Therefore, whatever other people think, I think it doesn't make me devalue myself and I don't get my sense my sense of self-worth from others, at least 99% of the time. And as much as I always love to hear from all of you podcast listeners, some bad comments won't make me want to shut down the podcast because I believe that I'm useless. That just won't happen because my self-worth and my love for podcasting comes from the joy of it and the joy of interacting with positive comments and those sort of things. However, when it comes to the sexuality part of me, because that was never loved, it was never given safety or anything as a child, that part of the self was left behind as the other aspects of, of the self developed in normal, healthy part ways. So I had to change my, my locus of evaluation and to bring it in. So this I mainly did through memoir-ish writing and just reflecting and learning about reparenting and locus of evaluations. And over time, I realised that I really don't care what other people think of me, my sexuality, what I choose to do with my life. It is honestly just a tiny part of me, but that tiny part of all that's been abused and traumatised has caused me massive problems in my life. But now I simply no longer care about the value of judgments of others. And I've also accepted some harsh truths about my life and my personal situation that helped me allow to bring in my locus of evaluation too. Since I know, I truly know, that only I can make myself feel safe, loved and secure. And I also did some reality checks. 
this is something I mentioned in the personal update because some traumas from my childhood they just don't apply these days and even though they were scarily real in my childhood they aren't now so why should I let that continue to, continue to rule my life it makes no sense but now I'm in a place where I can say that to myself and actually believe it finally a good thing to realize when you're working through emotional dependency is to realize that you don't need anyone including the person you're emotionally dependent on to give you safety love and security because only you can give yourself that sense but you can want them to still be in your life because that's perfectly fine and it reminds me of a like my favorite quote yeah well like a quote that was my feel good it's the quote where like um the like, main martin character says to like their girlfriend um i don't think i need you as much in my life anymore but uh, i want you and to be honest i think that basically sums up emotional dependency you don't need or at least recovering from it uh, because you don't need that person anymore but you still want them in your life because they're a good friend they're a lover they're someone that you do care about healthily and there there is the massive difference need is about you not being able to function without them and want is just you wanting them to be there as a friend a lover but ultimately you can function without them since you've given yourself that power back Conclusion. Overall, emotional dependency is when a child isn't given love, security and safety. They will find other unhealthy ways to have it in the future. They might seek constant reassurance, love and safety from a friend or a romantic partner. Yet over time, this constant reassurance does wear a relationship down, normally to breaking point. Thankfully, there are ways to overcome emotional dependency including psychological therapy, reparenting and readjusting your locus of evaluation. Personally, by the time this podcast goes out, I basically would have had three weeks of therapy. So, the four sessions. And honestly, it's been the best money I've ever spent. I was really scared about spending this money, but honestly, it's been absolutely brilliant. Due to I now know how to have healthy relationships, I know how to trust myself and I know how to give myself things that I just was never given as a child. And I know moving forward that would be extremely important. And honestly I look back at my mental health breakdown a few weeks ago including the week before I started therapy and I started and I don't know I don't really know that person anymore or I don't know how that person is anymore since I know that scared traumatized and abused part of myself it's still there but doesn't have power over me anymore he will not control my life he will not make decisions because he's healed or he is healing and now that I'm learning how to live my life after decades worth of trauma, pain and suffering inside me. Granted, I'll admit, I have no idea who I am in regards to the sexuality part of myself because for the first time since it was developed inside of me, 
It's no longer filled with pain, suffering and self-torture. It is free. So I'm definitely looking forward to exploring that part of me in the future and seeing how it sort of interacts with all the other parts of myself because I'm basically whole for the first time ever. And if you've sort of done psychodynamic theory, you sort of get what I mean because I realise some of this does sound a bit woo-woo. But it is real and it's the best way to explain it to um, you wonderful podcast audience. So I know therapy can be a scary time and it can be a really scary thing to do. But if you need it, definitely do it. Because it does have the power to change your life for the better. So I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode and you got something out of it. I know this was quite a long one, but I really needed to do this for me. And I needed to sort of talk about this with someone, not my therapist. (laughs) And basically though, like... I needed to sort of realise that how far I've come in the past few weeks and I've actually mentioned this in like the memoir that I'm currently like writing. Basically it normally takes people months but believe me I've got the motivation, I've got the mindset and to be honest I want my life to change and I'm really glad that I have, a, that I have done this, this like change though. Will I still be emotionally dependent in the future? Probably, there's a good chance, but I know the signs of emotional dependency. I can, I well, like I'm actually quite good at recognizing when I'm feeling emotionally dependent, and when that happens, I just need to remember the stuff I've learned, and that I am good enough for myself, and like everything will be okay. So I've no idea if anyone else is going through emotional dependency, but if you are. I hope this was like useful everyone else i think this is a really interesting topic that we just don't learn about because it is a little bit weird and it's a bit scary to think about that someone could be that someone could rely so much on someone else so i really hope you enjoyed it if you know anyone else who really enjoyed today's episode then please share it with them i'm always really grateful when you wonderful people help spread the word about the podcast And if you want to learn more, definitely check out Psychology of Relationships, The Social Psychology of Friendships, Romantic Relationships and more. Available in all the usual places. And you can buy the e-book directly from me at payhip.com forward slash Connor Whiteley. And if you all want to become a patron of the show, then definitely check out patreon.com forward slash The Psychology World Podcast. So have a great day everyone. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. Please remember to like the video and subscribe to the the YouTube channel. And follow the podcast on your favourite podcast app. And if you wanted to learn more, then please check out the backlist of the podcast episodes or my books at conwhiteley.net. So have a great day and I'll see you next time.